Welcome to the Magic Hour podcast, where we create an intentional space to let our curiosity drive a conversation with industry professionals about marketing, entrepreneurship, inclusion, and socially conscious topics. We are grateful to be hosting this podcast on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples. I'm your host, Hope Michael, from Unicorn Marketing Co. Let's make some magic. Today I'm chatting with Sid Barr, the founder of Say Hey Studio. Sid is a queer project manager, business owner, and artist originally from the Maritimes. Passionate about accessible and inclusive design, they strive to help brands simplify complex marketing and design problems. Their 10 years of experience in the marketing industry has instilled big picture strategic thinking while honoring the details. Their biz, Say Hey Studio, is a creative design agency that helps brands tell stories through bold visuals and thoughtful design. In their spare time, they're camping with their dog, Teddy, reading multiple books at once, and finding ways to connect with their community. Let's meet Sid. Hi, Sid. Thanks so much for joining me today. Hi. No problem. Let's jump right in. Tell me a little bit about yourself and your company, Say Hey Studio. Sure. So I'm Sid. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. I'm a graphic and web designer, photographer, business owner, slash artist, uh, originally from the Maritimes. I'm passionate about accessible and intuitive design. And my business, Say Hey Studio, is a creative design agency that helps brands tell stories through bold visuals and thoughtful design. Amazing. I am really excited to talk about accessible and inclusive design with you. I think you're going to have some really amazing thoughts about this. Mm -hmm. So let's go into like a bit of your background, because I know you started out working in a completely different industry, and then you have arrived here in this current place. Mm -hmm. What was your experience like working in male-dominated tech, and how did you come to this conclusion that you wanted to start your own company? So Right out of school, I went to school for graphic design and out of school, I was living in Ottawa and then I just moved to Vancouver. So I was in a new city, needed a job, didn't really know anyone. So I really, you know, like many people fresh out of school kind of had to cut your teeth and start from scratch, start from Mm -hmm. the bottom. I did one unpaid internship, which will not be named uh, (laughs) back in the day when that was not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think sometimes we do that. Yeah. Getting experience. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely don't recommend it. And I think all internships should be paid, but that was, Mm -hmm. I don't even know how many years, like more than 10 years ago. So Mm. yeah, that was that. And I ended up getting like one of my first full-time jobs in design at kind of like a real estate tech startup. They were designing like software for real estate for the industry, let's say, I'll just kind of be vague about it, (laughs) but definitely a male dominated field. And like I've always wanted, I've always looked up to women and I've always just have so much respect for women in the workplace because there's just so many obstacles and like keeping in mind the intersectionality of that as well. But for me, I, you know, I worked a number of years as a designer and all my bosses were just always men. And after a while, especially in the design world, if you're getting like critiqued by people who actually have no design experience, you start to get a little bit... <laughs> yeah maybe like a little bit resentful like where like uh, you know like the best critiques come from people who usually know what they're talking about and I think just after some time I became a little bit disillusioned with 
just that whole idea of like, I'm a man in charge and I know what's best and I'm going to tell you what to do. And like not trying to generalize it too much, but at the end of the day, like that was just my own personal experience. So yeah. that really did feed into kind of like planting the seed as to why I wanted to start my own business, almost like in a selfish way, because I could envision this life of like, I want to see women in charge. Mm -hmm. I want to, you know, be surrounded by like creative people who are business minded, who can get shit done. Mm -hmm. And I think I was so far away from that at the time that I was just like looking for like a mentor like that. And I just didn't see anyone around me. And maybe I just didn't know, you know, when you're new and young and naive in the industry, it's just helpful to like look into the future and see people that are doing things you want to do. So I didn't really have that. So yeah. honestly, like starting my business was this way of like, okay, well, if I don't have it and I don't see it, then maybe I can do it for myself and see what happens. Amazing. That's so brave. So scary. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time it didn't feel brave. Honestly, at the time I felt like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? I don't want to do this. So I might as well, you know? Yeah. And yeah, so that's kind of where it all began. That's really exciting. And how many years ago was that? Uh, at least 10 years ago, I think. Oh my goodness, yeah. I, and nowadays, in my, the current scope of business, I see lots of women-dominated businesses, but I couldn't tell you one that I could think of from 10 years ago. So, Oh, sorry. This was when, yeah, 10 years ago is when I had the idea, but five, okay. I started my business like five years ago. Fair. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I also had that experience of working in a male-dominated business, getting very unproductive feedback and working with people's egos. Yeah. And I also kind of like had that thought that I needed to do something else, but I didn't know what it was. And it took me actually a very long time to get to here. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that, but like the starting point from here to there was very wiggly and had a lot of messy in-betweens. 100%. Mm -hmm. But when I look back now, I'm like, so grateful that I grew from that experience. Glad I had it. And I'm very grateful to be wherever this messy place is right now. Yeah, because it's your messy place. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. And I love that a big part of your mission and starting your own company was to work with women and to connect with other passionate, creative beings. And I think that you are such an amazing, creative human being. Can you talk about more about that and how this could have been a risk to starting your business? Yeah, because I'm, I'm non-binary and for me, it was like so important to work with women just because that was my idea at the time of gender. But now I think it's expanded a bit that I, of course, like I always want to champion women, especially like women in business, especially mm -hmm. like women that are like running the show on their own terms. Mm -hmm. But now that I've kind of that expansion in my mind has happened. I also want to support, you know, non-binary people, trans people. It's mainly just like the cis straight men that I'm like, mm, I've put in my time with you, you know, like, yeah, we're good. You, you have enough resources as it is. So yeah, I'm just looking to, to support like, yeah, people that are on my level, especially people in the queer community as well. Mm -hmm. And just any kind of people that I can see maybe that don't have a voice or that aren't able to, you know, have a seat at the table. Like let's mm -hmm. let everyone have a voice in that sense, because especially in design, like even in just small ways in design, it's like, 
you know, before the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of the marketing and advertising that we were being bombarded with were just white people. So <laughs> there's obviously like so much work to be done, but slowly, I think even as a designer, just in like making some of those small changes and like pushing for, you know, more inclusivity in like images that we're using or the language that we're using, mm -hmm. all of those can be small changes, but ultimately they can kind of compound onto each other and like work together for a bigger picture. But yeah, I'm pretty, I'm trying to be, you know, learn as much as I can at the same time and like decolonize my work, but it's very much like a work in progress. Absolutely. I think it's important that you're, you're showing up, you're experimenting and you're trying. That says a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And you talked a little bit how you were volunteering your time on the weekends and learning about the different communities and networking with people. How did that help you get to where you are now? I think, you know, volunteering is so amazing in the sense that so much, at least for me, you know, I struggled with depression and anxiety. And so much of that is just centered on myself. Like, I'm not trying to speak for anyone else. I'm just speaking my own personal experience. But mm -hmm. when you can like get out of your house, get out of your head, like put the focus onto someone else, some other cause, and then just connect with people. It's pretty like transformative. And it doesn't even have to be like, you don't have to be, I know everyone, you know, you got to make money, you got to make rent, you have to put food on the table. So it's not like we can all volunteer. But if we are able to, or just like, you know, meet community members or like help people walk down the street, if it's icy, there's like so many different ways that we can kind of make an impact in our community. But yeah, volunteering is so fun. And there's so many different ways to do it. Like you could watch your neighbors. Like, I don't even know. I'm not going to like list all the weird. I don't know. <laughs> okay. but, but there's just so many ways of getting involved. And I think the more that we can do that, especially now in our like isolated on our phone lives, mm -hmm. like it's just, it makes community is so important. And I'm so big on that. And right now it's funny because like, I know community is important, but I'm in a new city and <laughs> don't really know many people. So that's why I'm like, where are my friends? Where are my people? They're so, coming. You're going to meet them. It's going to yeah. grow. Your people are coming for sure. Definitely. But yeah, it's, that's a part of it. It's like, you need to sometimes be intentional. Otherwise it's not just going to happen overnight, sadly. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Having that intention, starting with it, seeing where it goes and knowing, of course, it's not going to happen overnight. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. How have you seen that design has changed over the years since you've started your company to now? That's a great question. It's changed a lot. I think mainly with the technology, I've seen like the biggest shift just because even in the last like two years with the rise of AI in design has been wild. And originally, yes, I was hesitant, like a, maybe like a group of us were, you know, you hear you watch like Terminator and you have all these like weird misconceptions about yeah. intelligence. But at the same time, right now as a designer, I'm just using it as tools in my toolbox and I'm not using it for big design like images yet like I know there's some people who are really into the different what's it called now I'm gonna blank on the name mid-journey and all that yeah and like chat gpt but I'm I just use it for like to save time 
honestly, mm-hmm. like generative fill is, has been fun. And I've been playing around with that. And, you know, it's just, it's kind of being plugged into a lot of different tools that we use and maybe we're not even aware, but it is making things faster. And I think that if we can embrace some of those for like our own workflow, it can be really helpful, but at the same time, like totally depends on people's processes. But yeah, I haven't like delved in as much as maybe I could because I'm just like, I'm still a little bit hesitant, but I think like I'm dipping my toes in, I'm seeing how it is. And I think in terms of web design, it can be really helpful just seeing different like platforms moving towards being more accessible for like anyone to go in and like drag and drop and create a Mm -hmm. website. But yeah, I'm still, jury's still out. Like we'll see how it goes (laughs) with AI. For sure. I think the most common narrative when AI started to become bigger was that it was going to replace people's jobs. And I can understand why that would be a fear, but I don't think it's going to replace creative people or creativity. And yeah. Not yet. I, not yet. <laughs> not <on> wood. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely a tool. And I agree. Like there's so many cool ways to use it to help us enable our life and do things faster. So there's nothing to be scared of per se. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's just like an ominous yeah yeah there's like a little bit of like okay what's next you know yeah, but I think we all know that we're like yep yeah, where is yeah, it like that's just sitting the on your shoulder. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure you have been living the dream of remote work and traveling which is amazing and I believe you've just settled down now on the east coast but how can you describe what it was like to work as a digital nomad tell us about your experience Yeah, I consider it a huge privilege to be able to travel, especially like when I was living in Vancouver and leaving this dreary, wet, rainy, cold, gray Mm -hmm. city to go to the coast of Oaxaca in Mexico. Uh, So that's where I was. I was living in like a surf town for supposed to be one month and then it turned into six because I couldn't leave. It was (laughs) It was really amazing. And honestly, I probably wouldn't have left, but I just had to come back and like take care of some life things. It was pretty transformative just in the way of, you know, traveling and seeing how other people live and trying to get integrated into like community and learning a language and just, you know, in our like North American cities, sometimes you can, or at least my own experience has been like, it's been, it does feel a little isolated sometimes and or clicky with certain friend groups and Mm -hmm. when I went there you know it was a pretty transient town that I was in there's lots of travelers but then I I met like some of the local queer community and that was when I was like oh this place is really cool because yeah because you can learn you know so much from people there and everyone was so open and it was just so less formal like Mm -hmm. I just love how people are quick to you know open their doors to you and then people are like on their little scooter in their bathing suit going to the <laughs> store. Like it's just that. <laughs> yeah, it's another world. And to be by the ocean, it just makes you feel connected to something bigger. So that was great. So that was lovely and beautiful. But then it's also like it was a bit hard to be strict with my working time when you know there and I want to go and play volleyball or I want to go you know swimming and so yeah it definitely you have to be like good with that do you feel like you were very strict or you had a routine that you had to focus in on 
I definitely had like, I love my little routines centered around like food and getting everything sorted and then like sitting down to work. I think for me, it was just like making sure I had a plan for each week and knowing what I had to do and then not being, you know, like now that I'm in the winter in Montreal, like sometimes I'll work till 7 p.m. But when I was in Mexico, it was like every day I would stop at five so I could go watch the sunset at 5 36. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's just like, little ways of doing things. I think for me, I never want to be completely strict with my schedule just because I kind of have to go on like how my body's feeling, how my mental health is. Like Mm -hmm. I'm in a place where I'm able to do that working as like on my own. So, which is like incredible. And it took me, you know, my whole career to kind of be able to get to that point. So yeah, it's definitely a privilege. And I feel very lucky to be able to even have traveled. And I want to go back next Wednesday. Oh, good. Will you go for another six months, you think? I don't know. We'll have to see with the whole renting situation this time. We'll have, yeah. TBD. You brought your dog with you. I think that's such a huge feat. I did. I wish I could show you him, but he, we're going to the vet tomorrow because he has an eye infection. So he's not looking at his best. <laughs> I know, but he's, yeah, he's like 16 pounds, little terrier. He's my absolute child. <laughs> So we're very like close and yeah, I couldn't not bring him honestly. And it was, it was so like Mexico is so open to dogs in some respects. So mm-hmm. it was, uh, yeah, like I would just walk him around off leash and. That's amazing. Definitely different in comparison, right? Yeah. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what a day in the life of Sid is like. I mean, just talking about Mexico, that sounds so cool. But now that I'm like, honestly, my day-to-day life is not that exciting. It's okay. <laughs> I think the main thing getting into a new city is like figuring out the new flow of like how you want to live your life. And for me, I think when I came back to Canada, I really kind of struggled with my mental health for a bit. So that affected my work and my mm. day. But now I'm like in a good place. So Usually I'm like getting up, going for a walk with my dog, going to the dog park, lots of coffee in the morning, water, all the good stuff, stretching. And then I usually start work around 10 and then go to like three, just like, and then take a break and then hop back in. My work is nice because it's varied. Like sometimes I'm working on a web design project. Sometimes I'm doing project management. Sometimes I'm looking for a backdrop. So I get to go to like a fabric store. Uh, I try to break it up. And then some weeks are just like, oh, I have to meet this deadline. So I'm just like behind my computer for eight hours. So it's not, yeah, it's not always super glamorous, but, but I think because I work online and I live alone, I can stay like a full day in my apartment and then not really speak to anyone. So I need to get out and just like, sanity check see the sun yep yeah. sometimes it's hard though like I can stay in inside all day and then I'm like, oh yeah I need to go for a mental health walk or maybe I should go call a friend like it takes work to do that sometimes yes and I will say having a dog definitely helps yes definitely and calling friends yeah I do find like I sometimes a whole day passes I'm like I just need to not look at a screen mm-hmm. It can be a lot, but I am grateful too, to have that flexibility in that I can just 
work for four hours straight or I can work for eight hours straight. I know what I have to do and what to get done, but I can also give myself the grace to just be where I am right now, which is really amazing. I don't know how I could work a nine to five for someone else again. <laughs> I know it's, and especially, you know, when people are like, oh yeah, you got 15 minutes in the morning for a break. It's like, what kind of break is that? 15 <laughs> minutes? Like BS, man. I don't know. <laughs> Fair. Yes. What would you say your creative process is like? How do you get into the zone? Mm, getting into the zone. I guess it, it kind of depends on the project, but for me, making sure like I've eaten, like taking care of my body and mm -hmm. my mental health is like really important for me, especially lately, since I'm kind of realizing how connected everything is in my mid thirties. Only now I'm realizing. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but yeah, really just like, I think the more that I'm like checking in with myself Honestly, you know what a big part for my creative process has helped? I started reading the book called The Artist's Way, mm. which is like recommended by like a lot of artistic people that I've heard in my life. So I finally started reading it. I'm not very far into it, but they have this thing called the morning pages where you just have to write three pages of like longhand, like whatever you can kind of like what all the junk that's in your mind in the beginning of the day, like, oh, you're not good. If you have weird dreams that are surfacing. You just like get it out on the paper so that you can kind of open the channel of your creativity to kind of like let it flow. And mm -hmm. I found that it's been super helpful. First of all, I love writing. I love documenting what's going on so I can look at it again. And I've been feeling a lot more creative lately since I started doing that. I'm glad to hear that. You're not the first person to talk about that book. Many people use it. And I'm surprised because I feel like it was written like ages ago. But so. there's so many good pieces in it that it's always great to come back to. Even if you go through it one time, you can just open it again and practice and exercise. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about like checking in with yourself and then hopefully you have some kind of parameters that you're like designing within so that that can help you kind of, okay, let's get started. And, you know, just starting, that's the most important part, especially when you're procrastinating on a project. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I'm the queen of procrastination. <laughs> yeah. So we're just going to take a quick commercial break. Be right back. I prioritize my self-care and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Esmeralda is a Vancouver sex toy brand and they hustle hard to create a space where all voices are heard and find sexually fulfilling experiences. I absolutely love their mini vibrators. Seriously, this thing is the size of my thumb. It is super quiet and so, so powerful. It even comes in a bunch of different colors and it's super cute. What really gets me going is how much Esmeralda cares for their community and shows up to create inclusive spaces for everybody. I know that when I'm supporting this woman-owned business in Vancouver, I'm not only supporting a friend, but I'm supporting Vancouver Pride and different sexual health and wellness events and so, so much more. Support our episode sponsor and get your buzz on at esmeraldashop.com. Our special promo code MAGICHOUR will get you 15% off on your next purchase. That's esmeraldashop.com. When it comes to jewelry, I'm a gold girly through and through. I look for designs that I can dress up or down and that I know have a very special meaning to me. And let's be real, I'm usually in a casual look and I'm wearing leggings or a denim jacket, but with SMJ, I feel super cute all the time. 
Sarah Mulder Jewelry is all about designing mindfully made pieces in small batches in both gold and rhodium. Sarah's designs are a touch of elegance and contemporary bohemian that I just die for. Honestly, I have so many of her pieces in my jewelry box, it's borderline excessive. Right now, I have my eye on her trillion pieces in the newest collection. There's this really cute necklace and earrings with a little chain number and a matching bracelet. Ugh, it is just too cute. So I invite you to check out this episode's sponsor at sarahmulder.com and get 15% off with promo code MAGICHOUR. That's sarahmulder.com, S-A-R-A-H-M-U-L-D-E-R.com and get 15% off. Okay, bye. Where do you find inspiration when you're designing for a new client? Firstly, like obviously online, you can find so much inspiration. Like in terms of web design, I think what really helps or any kind of design project is just getting a clear understanding of what someone's looking for. And even if sometimes it's almost helpful to to speak to someone and just ask them a bunch, this is how I start all my projects, asking a bunch of questions, Mm -hmm. trying to get down to the core of like, okay, what's the problem that we're trying to solve? But aesthetically, like you can get so many so much inspiration from like Pinterest, from all kinds of different websites that focus on like web design, graphic design. But then, you know, it's also like nice to go sometimes if you have the time, like going into a library and looking at like vintage design or older kind of logo design, where it's really just reduced down to like simple shapes, which is always rad because usually those are the ones that last the longest or stay relevant. And just kind of like taking in as much as you can in the world around you. And that's why, you know, like traveling can be super important in the creative process as well. You are able to, I think being open, like being open to meet people that might share different ideas than you or different perspectives. And also like YouTube, there's a million resources on there. I think, yeah, just being open and being open to learn new ways of making art and doing design. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes too, like for me, I can get stuck in like, oh, I know how to do this. So I'm going to do it this way for the next six months. But I feel good when I'm being challenged and maybe even sometimes stuck. So then I can like kind of get pushed to learn more. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yeah. 10 out of 10 response. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't give it yoga. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your favorite campaigns that you've worked on in the past? Well, I did some campaign work for uh, Plenty of Fish, which was <laughs> cute. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like big into the online dating, although I am on a couple of apps, but it's just like painful, you know, to put yourself <laughs> sometimes in that way. But we did some fun ones in that way. I haven't been doing as much. I've been, I've really kind of been moving more towards like web design but like companies that I've worked with, I started doing some contract work with a, a company called BrightWeb and they are like a social impact design agency. So they work with other companies working for good, you know, working towards like affordable housing or climate resources. Yeah, I'm trying to move to more towards companies, people, brands that are making like a tangible difference. Mm-hmm. A lot of like, my past work has been like skincare and beauty, which I love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I'm always going to, in fashion, I'm always going to love that. But I think maybe just as I'm getting older, I'm just wanting to make more of a difference in like any small tangible way. So yeah, I think that is kind of the direction 
I'm moving in. For sure. It's not just impactful for the world and, and environment. It changes you and it feels so gratifying to be a part of that process, right? Well, yeah, as I'm sure you know, and like, you know, the, the the more like aligned you are with your clients, like the better the work gets sometimes too. So true. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to get right in there and find that person, but when you do yeah. it, like, oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's not, that doesn't just happen also. <laughs> no, that does not just happen. I wish you could just have a magic wand and it would happen. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> we had been chatting before and you talked a bit about living with chronic pain. Would you like to share a little bit of your story about this? So where do I begin? When mm -hmm. I was, let's go way back and I'll try to make it <laughs> fast. Uh, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis when I was three. So that's like inflammation of the colon. I was really sick when I was young. And so when I was diagnosed, I basically had surgery right away and they removed my large intestine, my colon, and then gave me something called an ileostomy, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm not familiar. Essentially they like take part of your like gut and they loop it on the outside, kind of near your belly button. And then that's where you excrete waste that's okay. where you out of into a bag so I had that from the age of three until 17 wow. so I grew up you know that honestly I mean it was very hard on my parents like I'll give them that because like dealing with a sick child but for me like I grew up like that so I didn't really know anything else and it definitely came with its challenges and I was on like an NG feeding tube for a while which my brothers like to rip out because they thought it was funny oh. no <laughs> it was terrible. but so anyways I had that till I was 17 and then I had a two-part reversal surgery to create something called a j-pouch uh, which is essentially like an internal reservoir so you don't need to use the bag anymore so I had like a fair amount of surgeries and some after that as well mm -hmm. uh, for complications so I've always kind of had issues with pain around like my stomach, my digestion. And that has just kind of translated itself into other things, because if I'm not eating properly, if I'm not sleeping properly, uh, if I'm not drinking enough water, my whole system is like that much more fragile. So that if I'm not like a well-oiled machined in certain respects, then I just start falling apart. Then I have like really bad back pain. Then I have migraines. Then I, you know, maybe become anemic or I'm dizzy. So I'm trying to like get a handle on just like taking care of myself in a new way. And I think it's just been like, the more other people have talked about their own like health issues, the more I've kind of realized like, oh, I had it like pretty intense, but like, you know, you grow up in a certain way and you just kind of take it as how it is. So right now I'm doing really well. I'm healthy, but I will say that like, there's a big brain and gut connection. So I do think that some of my depression, which started when I was like quite like younger in my teens, I think that's linked. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm trying to now just like figure out caught the source of the migraines. So it's a process. It's a journey. <laughs> I think that I also forget often that my brain and gut are connected and that I need to take care of my body in order for my brain or my mental health to feel okay. And so easy just to have that as an oversight. I know when it's especially like, it's just, we're just taught a lot of the times like, oh, we just need to be, you know, sleeping, drinking water. There's all these things that we can do. Obviously, like that's not going to cure depression. Like I'm not saying that by any means, but yeah. there's like the baseline exercising, baseline things that we can do that will get us to like at least here and then 
some things can be, you know, and then you can look into other things, but I don't really know where I was going with that. That maybe came out wrong. But <laughs> that's okay. Well, I also understand what it's like to live with chronic pain as I have endometriosis. Mm. Oh, a couple other things. I don't know. Sometimes like there's like loose uh diagnostics about that. Uh, but now I feel like where I'm at now in life and where I have the flexibility to be working on my own schedule or be working from home, or if I'm in so much pain that I need to lie in my bed and work, that it's yeah. okay. Yeah. And yes, it's a huge privilege, but also I don't know how I lived before and went to work and like went to an office and sat in a gross chair for so long. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. Cause I know I had some friends with it and it's like not a laughing matter that can be quite painful mm -hmm. it can be really tough yeah. how does your chronic pain affect your work-life balance I think it's mainly like the migraines are mm -hmm. such a bitch <laughs> if I can <laughs> it's just there's not much you can do like you really have to kind of just like shut down and for me when I get my migraines I get an aura before mm -hmm. and then I get and then I'm like oh because I know like the rest of the day is sometimes a write-off, especially like if you have work or if you're stressed, you just have to like, for me, I have to go into like a dark room or like mm. walk outside without a hat on in the cold. I just need like freezing. Yeah. I've, I'm looking, I'm trying different medications right now and I have in the past, but kind of like trying to figure out like this, the source of it is might be the way to go for me, like what triggers them. Mm -hmm. But Otherwise, yeah, it's just like finding, you know, I think being open with different agencies, if I'm doing like white label work and I have a deadline and I, for some reason now I can't meet that because I missed two days of work, mm -hmm. uh, just being open with people about it instead of like, oh, I'm, I'm sick, which is totally fine. Like you don't have to disclose anything, but for me, I'm just so happy that we're after COVID, you know, more people are talking about like mental health days and, mm -hmm. and the wholeness of a person instead of just like, what is your work output? <laughs> yes, totally. Yeah. And people are so much more flexible to working remotely or working at different times of day, whatever feels best for you, which is also huge. Yeah. And it's still, you know, like that's still just like the section of the workforce. Mm -hmm. I'd love to see like universal income for everyone. And yeah, but it's not there yet. <laughs> not yet. Thank you very much for sharing your story. I really appreciate that. And I feel like the people aren't talking about their chronic pain issues very much in the workspace or in their own journeys. So it's really important to share that people aren't alone and that there's support and a community out there, people who are willing to listen. 100%. Yeah, I think it's just been, you know, I feel like now more than ever, people are just realizing like, the power of the workforce and mm -hmm. as, as of late we're just kind of you know waking up to the fact that like we need to fight for our own rights and freedoms because the people making money off us aren't going to that is very correct okay well let's <laughs> go into another topic before we both cry <laughs> Uh, accessibility and design is such a beautiful big big topic and it's getting more and more attention for good measure as of late. Tell us a bit about like how you work with accessibility in your design process and how do you ensure that your designs are as accessible as possible? Yes. So I should say that I'm actually going through my own website right now to redo a lot of it because it mm -hmm. is not accessible, but other websites that I 
have been working on in the last two years. I've tried to make it, you know, a requirement now. It's because there's so many different people online and yeah, everyone needs to be able to access websites to get information, value, content, whatever. So there's like, you know, basic principles. And I would encourage like anyone who has a website to look into like, is your website accessible? There's online accessibility checkers that you can run through like Google Light. What's it called? Now I'm going to blank. Google Lighthouse, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you, you know, like on desktop, mobile, but you can also just like, there's so many resources out there online to help you create a website that everyone can use. And I think for me, you know, it's like ensuring your site allows keyboard navigation using high contrast colors. That's one thing that just drives me nuts as a designer. When I see things where it's not legible like you can't read it yeah. because it's not a contrast and <laughs> I yeah so you're just losing a, a portion of people and then you're really just turning a bunch of other people who are privy to that off but even like providing you know alt text for images mm -hmm. using the proper hierarchy for your headings there's mm -hmm. lots of, I don't need to yeah I won't get into like the nitty-gritty but there's lots of different ways and I think if you're designing for everyone or for anyone you like that's the responsibility nowadays to make sure that it's accessible I do think there's a baseline that people yeah. need to incorporate into their websites I think it's often overlooked for budget purposes which freaking sucks yeah um, yeah I know what you mean but also yeah definitely that that's like an add-on a lot of the times yeah I'm like, I would love to see it being more like baked into just like a general, like, of course it's accessible. Like why, you know, why would you pay more? For that? But yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I would love to know your hot take on, oh, what is it called? The apps that you can integrate into your website that make it more accessible for people. What do you think about these? I have like a love-hate relationship, let's say, because I don't, I haven't looked that deep into them because I haven't really used them. I've had a client that asked me about it mm -hmm. and I looked into it and I feel like it's more of like an, an afterthought, like it can help, you know, change the text size. But I feel like if your website is not created thinking about that already, you're going to be losing some of the ways to make it accessible. So I don't like maybe I don't have enough information to really like quote on that, but okay. I've seen a few and I'm, I wasn't impressed, but I think there, I'm sure there's ones that are like for a higher pay grade that might do the trick, but I'm just not, I don't know that much about them right now. That's fair. I agree. I feel like I have a love hate relationship. I've heard other people say that if you use the app or something like that, that you're really not thinking about accessibility and you're just putting like a blanket statement over your your content just to try and meet them in the middle. So from that kind of like intention perspective, I think it's a miss. And I haven't spoken to someone who uses that app very often, but I would love to know what they think about it for sure. I know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I did hear it from a legal perspective. So in the U.S., it's much more a must to have an accessible website, right? And in Canada, there isn't like any laws or super huge regulations that you must. But it's important, of course, to have an accessible website. And I heard from a legal perspective that somebody was saying if people were using apps or plugins like this, that they were more likely to be targeted for legal cases because people were like searching them out and then suing them, which wow. I was like, how is this a culture that that's what we're propagating why are we talking about this oh wow yeah that's 
That's pretty, yeah, I know in the States, it's definitely a different ball game, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but wow. yeah, that's gonna be, yeah, the, there's some, <laughs> definitely some legalities around like creating a website that's not going to get you sued. <laughs> also important, but I think starting with an intention and giving a shit about people is the biggest thing, right? From the beginning. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. In your opinion, what is the most important thing about design to pay attention to? most important thing I feel like it's the whole so it's like all the different parts and the way that they work together like for me maybe that's why I even was attracted to design like I'm someone who just loves harmony and I don't like conflict and I want things to like work together so I really love you know when you see good design it's like the colors support the t- the typography and the typography supports the message and mm-hmm. all of that like works together but I think like more than the aesthetics of design, obviously it's like, what problem are you solving? Is something working? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you can have something, yeah, you can have yeah. something beautiful and then it's like, doesn't do the job that it's supposed to do. So is that good design? Nah, not really. Yeah. So yes, that's my answer. <laughs> I mean, it's a great answer that there isn't one thing is that it's much more of a bigger picture and how everything goes together. Yeah. How it all integrates. Mm-hmm. What are some of the design trends that you're seeing nowadays that you're super excited about? I mean, I am excited about some of like the AI functionalities, you know, mm-hmm. just in terms of like making my life a little bit easier in Photoshop and like expanding an image and not having to create the background, but having Photoshop do that for you, like generative fill. So those are exciting. I'm not mm-hmm. very good with them yet, but that will come. I think, you know, just like what we touched on to more inclusive visuals and more inclusive language mm-hmm. like even in the past few years just seeing like big companies using like queer couples in an advert like that that's huge to me and I I think just the more representation of everyone mm-hmm. like the more that we actually see like the world as it is represented uh in our advertising just like in our movies in our media whatever that's just so powerful so more inclusivity is great I think even just like experimental typography always gets me really excited because like, I don't know anything. I'm not good at that. (laughs) So I love when other people are like creating typefaces and, you know, you see like the Chrome typefaces and all this like cool looking stuff. That's so cool. I I do have people do it, but I appreciate it a hundred (laughs) percent. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Just like all the different points of view that are coming out and maximalism I'm a fan of mm-hmm. <laughs> and bright colors and like color contrasts yeah I'm just l- liking more like joy and like aliveness coming to design because I know sometimes you go through phases of it's just beige or it's just minimal and that's beautiful sometimes mm-hmm. but I think, yeah I'm just always excited about like what's coming out what's new what don't I know that's just like what I'm aware of but who knows what 2024 will bring I yeah who no <laughs> how do you measure success for yourself as a designer I think for me measuring success is like as a designer if I'm happy to like get up and actually do the work that I'm doing because I know not every day is going to be like I'm excited mm-hmm. to get onto my laptop and see my list of to-dos Some days that's like a real struggle, but I think when I'm feeling like I'm doing the work I want to do, it's like work that's maybe making a difference. I'm working with people that are inspiring to me. 
maybe I'm getting challenged along the way, but I'm trying to like keep an open mind and just like push forward and honestly, like making enough money to pay my bills. Like that's a huge, it's, it's a goal. I think, it has to be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the last year, especially like I've struggled like mentally and financially like full transparency. So as I'm sure, you know, like as a self-employed person, it's really hard not to sometimes internalize that. So if oh, like yeah. I'm not making enough money, oh, I'm not good enough. Just, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes there's like layoffs in the tech industry and like that affects that trickles down and affects the whole thing. Yeah. It's scary. It makes me question the value of myself and the work that I'm doing. And yeah. I that all the time is like this internal dialogue that I have to like check and put in the corner and like get back to business. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. I agree in finding more joy in the work that we do on a daily basis. I think this is huge mm-hmm. and it can come in like the way that we work with clients or the different projects that they have. And it just, it's transformational. It's transformational when you feel that like little bit of joy working on a project. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's all I'm trying to do is like inject joy into my days after yeah. like winter and the yeah. world. Yeah. Let's do it for, you know, like little pockets of joy in the day. And it's like, it goes back to such a simple intention of just like, okay, how am I going to do that? How am I going to inject a little bit of joy? How am I going to reframe my negative thought to be different? Like so Mm. much. Yeah. Yeah. Like painting your wall, you know, like like (laughs) (laughs) just looking for a little bit, (laughs) a little dopamine hit and wherever I can get it. What is one tip that you would have for someone who is currently designing their own work or maybe who is DIYing it for themselves as a business? First of all, amazing. Love it. I don't <laughs> know like, what kind of tips are they looking for? <laughs> Great question. Well, since this is a hypothetical scenario, let's say uh, I'm a small business. I can't afford new branding. How am I going to get from A to B and show myself the way I want to? That's, that's, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we've all seen, you know, companies or we all know people like that where you don't have enough money maybe yet to pay professionals for some of the services that you want or you need. But I think it's always just like working with what you have. Mm-hmm. Like my first version of a website didn't look like what it looks like now, you know, mm-hmm. and it's and it was a process. And I think, especially like building yourself, building a website, building your business, you just go like one step at a time. I would say, yeah, maybe my suggestion would be try not to compare yourself to others, like use it as like a benchmark, maybe a goal. But mm-hmm. when we're comparing ourselves to others, sometimes I compare myself to photographers who have like 20 years of work, you know or 20 years of experience and that's just not fair and they have a different life story and a different perspective so mm-hmm. I think it's just like yeah in terms of like the branding yeah I'd say you know work with work with what you have and even like trade like look into trades like if you can provide a service for someone and then they can give you a logo that's going to work for the next year or two while you're growing until you want to put some money aside and invest in someone else like I've gotten lots of great trades like as a service provider and I love it because everyone is like doing their best and there's no money involved, which is kind of cool. And yeah, just like a way of helping Um, each other out. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Trades. I would say look into that and like Facebook groups too. Mm. There's a lot of like resources in that way around like people doing design or business. And sometimes too, if you want like a student who really wants the experience and you want to work in like an ethical way together, then you can do that too. Totally. That's how we came into each other's orbits as a Facebook group, Girl Gang or GG, it's called. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I'm grateful for little communities like that. That group has been so valuable to meet new people and to find new projects. And whenever I have a question, I'm like, what am I doing? It's so amazing. It is so good. And just, yeah, just to always like be reminded that behind the scenes, no one really, everyone's like trying their best and yeah. it together, figuring it out. So yeah. yeah. Amazing. Okay. We're going to move on to our brand new thingamabob. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> so it's called yay or nay. This is what it is. I'm going to read you a story that someone has shared with us anonymously and it's going to be a ride. And then after we can chat about it and you can tell me if it's a yay or a nay. <laughs> I think you'll definitely have an answer for this one. Okay, here we go. So I work as a freelance social media manager and content creator. One of my biggest pet peeves in this industry is when a brand pride washes and misuses important messaging for monetary means. So I'm just going to interject and talk about what pride washing is and give a definition. I would say pride washing or rainbow washing can look like when a brand changes their social media avatar into like corporate rainbow colors or runs advertisements that feature same-sex couples, but only for a certain time period, only during Pride Month. Yeah. Not 365 year round. And I would say that this kind of surface level marketing does not support the queer community. And it's really about going deeper into your true intentions and giving back to community. So if you change your logo to a rainbow for a month, but you're donating thousands and thousands of dollars or you're making an impact or building up a community, I think that's where the hugest impact can come from and what people want to hear more about and care about. Not that I'd love the color rainbow. I call it a color. <laughs> Do you have anything that you want to add on what that could be like? Yeah, I think pride washing is gross. Uh, so yeah. gross. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you can really see that when, you know, certain banks or like large corporations where it's like known that they don't treat queer people within their business, like in a good way, but really just like co-opting, it's like piggybacking on this like visibility and using that for monetary gain, which is disgusting. <laughs> yeah. And especially like it, like you said, like it's one thing if people are changing their logo to a rainbow flag and then donating money or finding ways to help the queer people within their organization, you know, like setting up mm. different funds for them or different kinds of support system, but like using like the queer communities, like symbology against them in a sense, it's such a generalization too. It's just like, oh yeah, we support, we are an ally, but we're not doing the work. And I think that's so dangerous, especially for like anyone who wants to label themselves an ally, because that's like, you have to do the work. That's the whole point. Like you have to stand behind what you're saying. Uh, exactly. You have to do the work. It's yucky when you don't. We can yeah. all tell when you're not doing the work. Yeah. Yeah. That's and like, especially when you see banks doing it or like, you know, people that have so much money, you're like, Ugh. banks are, I would say a classic scenario. Often you don't want to generalize. Sorry, banks, but get it together. <laughs> okay. 
So back to the story. So a couple of years ago, I was working with this brand in a classic scenario of one person doing everything in their business. It was still pretty new, new for the both of us. We had been working together for a couple of months and I was really starting to see some major red flags in our client to server provider relationship and in the back end of the business. So for my social media package, I like to plan ahead at least one month in advance and I make sure to chat with the client once a month to talk about the strategy or upcoming holidays or campaigns. So we had already talked about our June content and prioritized certain content pieces and sales and a focus about talking about certain products. And in that call, I noted that pride was coming up and I asked if this was in line with the client's values. Instead, we prioritized these sales as there was a major need to move products. I get that. I can understand that. So fast forward to Pride Month, and we're already well into the month of Pride celebrations. And it's literally the last or few days before June has passed us by. And the client asks me why we have not talked about Pride in our content. And a little bit more background. This was a classic scenario of scope creep and asking for more than we had originally discussed in our initial package which happened all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's June 28th or something like that. And my red flag radar is screaming and I have a heavy feeling in my gut. All of this content was good to go. The budget did not allow for more work to be done. And we already planned for these priorities that were fully done. Wasn't I clear enough? Okay. This person says, I took a deep breath and they carefully crafted a response talking about the effects of pride washing, what it means, how often it comes up, and I shared that without having a direct impact on a community and suggesting a percentage of sales to be allocated to a charity or to talk about resources for LGBTQIAS+, the message of like Happy Pride Month can just be so negative or overwhelming a space that doesn't need any more, oh my God, it's Pride Month sales. Mm -hmm. So the writer goes on to say, I tried to talk about social media ethics and the intention behind this post and to talk about how you can still be an ally without posting about Pride Month. And I shared links to articles talking about it, how to show up as an ethical brand in this space. I felt like I was shouting on top of a mountain because this message was not received. The business owner ended up posting some stories saying happy Pride and made a discount code to the online store related to Pride. And that pulling feeling in my gut started to unravel. I knew that it was not going to work out long-term. So at the end of the month, it's basically the end of the month now, I think in the story, I emailed the client and suggested that we part ways in a very general way, not suiting any blame on anyone and started the offboarding process. And it may have come to a complete surprise to this client, but I just could not see myself aligned with intentions like this. And then the writer goes on to say, the response that I got in my inbox put me into an anxiety spiral for weeks. The emails I would get from this person at different times of day and night were beyond the point of slander and were getting very rude. I won't go into any more detail, but it was gross. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, that's that is really gross and sounds like it was a good idea to get away from that client, but like I've I've run into that issue too, you know, when you have people in your inbox and it's like you do not need to be in here like get a life mm -hmm. go work on yourself but instead they're like literally like spewing hate or yeah like stuff that no one needs to be reading and it's really I think it's really like 
a lot of times people projecting or they're just angry. So they're lashing out at like someone that seems like a good target for them. But yeah, that's pretty gross. And that's really sad. I would just block. I don't know. Do you block emails? I've never done that. I don't think that's a thing. Can you, well, you, can put like, you can put it to spam, but yeah, it's still yeah. coming. True. <laughs> so definitely a nay. <laughs> that's a nay. That's a nay. Yeah. Very unfortunate for this person. I hope that they're doing better. Yeah. I have much more value aligned clients working with them. Yeah. Honestly, like I'm happy that that person was like able to see the bigger picture and be like, I'm going to get out because sometimes, you know, the, the sad fact is you have to stick around because you just need money from a client. But I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, what are you supporting? So that's, that's good. Good for them. And I think it almost sounds like in the story that maybe the client had good intentions, or, but was also, there was something else happening. Like before they posted it, they were maybe like trying to share that they were an ally, but they weren't. Yeah. It's like ignorant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. That's tough. Yeah. Okay, great. Well, we did it. Yay. Yay. Woo. <laughs> Awesome. So let's jump back into our regularly programmed questions. Is there anything else that you want to share with us before we part ways in this conversation? I don't know. What do I want to share? Uh, just be kind to yourself <laughs> and be kind to others. Let's all just be easy on ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Tell us everything. This is like your time to shine. Tell us about where we can find you. What's your website? All that stuff. Tell me right now. Yeah. So my business name is Say Hey Studio. Say Hey, baby, like that. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, SayHeyStudio.com. On Instagram, I think it's, well, you can find my Instagram in my website on the footer. You can find me on LinkedIn through Say Hey Studio or my name, Sid Barr. That's B-A-A-R. And uh, yeah, I would just say go through my website. All my socials are connected there in the footer. And if you see me in real life, come say hi. Amazing. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Yeah, this was so nice. Such a, like feels like a little celebration. Yeah, amazing. Thanks so much for tuning in. Tune in for our next episode where we talk with Josie Piper about UX UI design and embracing a user-centric thinking. Okay, thanks everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Tune in to our next episode of the Magic Hour podcast where I'm going to be chatting with Josie Piper from the Fickle app all about building her app from scratch and bringing a marketer's lens into the tech industry. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Magic Hour podcast. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast to help us grow our community and to get more magical guests right here on our show. The Magic Hour podcast is produced by Madison Allen with editing by Kamika Taniguchi. This show is founded by Hope Michael. Unicorn Marketing Co. is a creative marketing agency that thrives on creating custom solutions for not-so-average business owners. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Unicorn Marketing, and check out our website at unicornmarketingco.ca.